And, um, of course, none of them are mine, actually, because they're God's, I guess. But uh, I was listening to Dr. Raymond Barber a number of weeks ago and uh, had come across a message he had preached on what is a Christian. And he actually was teaching a Sunday school class. And uh, he had uh, ten points that I listened to. And I thought, boy, those are, those are excellent, just top-notch. And so I'm going to just tell you up front, this is not my message this morning. I'm going to borrow his and do my best. I wish I could preach it like he would. You'd really enjoy that. But uh, if you never heard Dr. Raymond Barber, tremendous preacher, um, and oftentimes when he gets up to preach, he'll spend, oh, maybe five minutes or eight minutes, ten minutes sometimes, just quoting Scripture. And uh, tremendous preacher of the gospel and, and has been faithful over the years. <clears throat> but... Uh, I, I really just, it meant so much to me and helped me in some things in my life. I thought I really would like to just share those. And I thought about rewriting it and making it my sermon, but I'd rather just use his. It was fine. Uh, and so we're going to use his points and uh, his message this afternoon, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you and a help to you. I try not to take other men's sermons very often, but sometimes when they've been such a help to me, I think, boy, just, I just want to take that and just share it with our people. And uh, so I hope it will be a help to you. Let's look in Acts chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse number 25. Then departed Barnabas uh, to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Father, we pray once again this afternoon that you will take the next few moments and help this to be a help to us and a blessing to us, and uh, that it will be something that will uh, draw us closer to you, strengthen our faith, and cause us to live the way that a Christian should, and to learn from it, uh, your word, the, the things that you desire for us to be as Christians. And so guide and direct our steps in uh, the, the things that we say, and uh, the scriptures that we will bring. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> the question is, what what is a Christian? And I uh, heard a fellow make this definition one time. He says, the, a, a Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks. It's a mind through which Christ thinks. And he used uh, Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, it's also a heart through which God loves and the fact that in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5, the Bible says that He's given us His love. He's shed it abroad in our hearts that we can go and take it and give it to others as well. And then He says, thirdly, uh, a Christian is someone whose body, uh, a body uh, through which Christ lives. In Galatians chapter number 2 and verse number 20, uh, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and a body in which Christ lives. So, three things that I think are helpful to us in knowing as, as a Christian that ought to be affected. A mind through which Christ thinks. So, our mind needs to be yielded completely and wholly to Him. A heart through which He loves. So, our hearts need to be fully yielded to Him. And then our bodies in which Christ lives. And so, uh, we ought to have a body that... Um, reflects the fact that Christ lives in us. And really, if you take these three things, our mind, our heart, and our body, those are the areas that make us up as a being. 
and for Christ to have absolute and complete control of it. And uh, in listening to Brother uh, Barber, he starts off by asking a question that I thought was pretty unique. And uh, he said, how many of y'all have ever uh, come across a, a beehive when you were younger? Any of you ever done that? Come across a beehive or wasp nest or something like that? How many of you ever been stung by a bee? All right. Uh, he says, let's look at the beehive in God's Word. And his, his, his goal is, his, his desire is that we get stung by all of these bees, okay? Uh, because when we get stung by them, it, it creates an effect. It causes, it moves us to action for one, uh, and it's going to make a mark on us. Uh, so he saw, his hope, his hope was that these bees would make, uh, uh, that we'd get stung by each of them. And so I'm going to give you ten things that Brother Raymond Barber pulled out of Scripture. I will say this, there are more, I'm certain, in Scripture. In fact, I thought of several as, uh, I was writing down these and getting them from his message. And um, there are some others out there, and, and as God, uh, God sees fit, He'll lead you to those. But uh, some things that I think the Bible says that as Christians we ought to be, alright? So let's look at the first one, if you will. Turn, uh, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and uh, we'll turn to verse number 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 17. The first B that he says we ought to be stung by is that we need to be perfect. As Christians, we need to be perfect. Now, he's not talking here about sinlessness. Uh, in fact, Romans chapter 7 teaches us that uh, that is impossible. If a man says, you know, we can't be without sin, that every person sins. Um, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we find the usage and the context with which uh, we intend this to be uh, taught. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, uh, all scripture, of course, in 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then he goes on, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. And again, he's not speaking of sinlessness as much as he's talking about the spiritual maturity, to be well versed in scripture, to be well studied, to be able to handle the word of God skillfully. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And the idea that every Christian ought to uh, hunger and thirst for the Word of God. It ought to be the desire of our hearts. Because it is the Word of God and the studying of it that bring the maturity, the equipping, the, the building up of the Christian life for us to do the work that God in, uh, has for us to do. Uh, the Bible word that is used is uh, to uh, make perfect or to perfect. And I like using Bible words when we can because it helps us understand their application. And this is what this is referring to. And so the first B that he says we ought to get stung by is that as Christians we need to be perfect. We need to grow. And uh, how many times uh, we uh, often, I was thinking just as I thought of this this afternoon, we happen to have three, three babies here this morning. Now, did you all see them? And I mean, they were cute. Weren't they cute as a button? But, you know, I didn't notice too many of them sitting, of those three babies that were here this morning. I didn't see any of them take their Bible and open it. Well, not, not even one passage of Scripture as we preached it this morning. I didn't see them amen or uh, say, boy, that's good, pastor. And they just sat there and they didn't, they, they were hearing, but they weren't really, they weren't getting it because, again, they were babies. They were infants. And the truth is, uh, God's people need to get out of the infant chair at, at a certain point in their life. And we need to get to where we can listen to God's Word, and we can take heed to God's Word, we can understand God's Word, we can feast on it, we can nourish ourselves by it. And this is the idea that is spoken of here when Paul speaks of this to Timothy, and tells them that, uh, uh, that it's through the, 
the understanding of Scripture, uh, the application of Scripture, that uh, a man is perfected, that he's made perfect, and uh, thoroughly, truly furnished unto all good works. The second one is in James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. Number one, we need to be perfect. We need to grow. We need to be um, becoming more mature as Christians. And by the way, <clears throat> we never get to the place where we finally have gotten there. Okay, let me just make this, this comment here before we get to James. I think sometimes, after a time, we all do this. We all have this tendency. That we study, and there's, there's weariness in studying, we know that, and sometimes we, we feel like, well, we've done a lot of work, we've studied Scripture, we know it far better now than we used to. And if we're not careful, we'll become content with a certain level. We'll get to a certain level, and we'll just kind of say, okay, I know my Scripture, I don't need to study it anymore. I don't need to to pour into it like I used to because I have a pretty good working knowledge and pretty good understanding of it. The truth is, it ought to be the pursuit of our life until we get to heaven. Uh, because there's always something more about Scripture we need to learn. When I graduated from Bible college, I wish I could go back in time because when I graduated from Bible college, I knew everything there was to know about Scripture. And I'm now 52 years of age, and somehow I don't know what happened. Uh, I feel like I'm a babe in Christ when it comes to knowing Scripture. But the truth is, the more we study it and the more we do learn about it, the more we realize we don't know it. And there's more to it that we've got to know, we've got to learn. And that ought to motivate us to continue to pursue this thing of perfection and, and maturity in the Christian life and growing in the Word of God. Let's go to the second one, James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. And we'll begin uh, verse number 7. This is one of the ones that we love to preach on. And we hate to hear. <laughs> be, be patient, therefore. And the second B that we need to get stung by, not only do we need to be perfect, but we need to be patient. We need to be learn to be patient. Uh, we're to be patient in a lot of things. We're to be patient in tribulation, the Bible says. Uh, we're, meaning we're to endure that. We're to be able to go through it without throwing our hands up and quitting. Or stomping away mad and pouting, saying, I'm not going to do it because i got to go through all this. There's a patience in, that we should have in tribulation and enduring it. There should be a patience in looking for the glorious coming of our Savior. That we labor and we work, even though we say, well, it could be another thousand years before the Lord comes back. And, you know, Brother Dan and I were talking a little bit before the service, and I, th I really do think He's going to come back in my lifetime. Now, it may be another hundred years. It may be another thousand years. I doubt it, but it may. But I've got to be patient. Whether it's in my lifetime or not, I've still got to labor as though it's going to happen right now. There needs to be a patience in looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And uh, then there needs to be a patience when it comes to our relationships with others. And so we need to be patient. Look what he says here in verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And so uh, the idea of making sure that we are patient in each of these areas. Look with me also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. <clears throat> and verse number 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and so far we'd say, okay, I can do those things. But then he also says this, 
Be patient, notice this, toward, what's that little three-letter word that starts with the first letter of our alphabet? Toward what? <sighs> Lord, you really had to put that one in there? We all know that there are some people that push our patience button. And if you can't think of who it is, you're it. There are some people that push our patience button. And while we ought to be patient waiting on the Lord, we are also to be patient toward, the Bible says here, all men. That means if we have someone who's lost that we've been trying to share the gospel with, we don't give up on them. We continue in patience to take every opportunity that God affords us to share the gospel with them. That means if a brother in Christ is, has not attained to the spiritual level that I am, I am to have patience with them. Because even if that were true, which if I think that, then it probably is not true. But even if that were true, I used to be there too. And somebody had patience with me. And more than likely, that's probably not true. We still need to have patience that we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to learn to be patient. It's part of a mark of a Christian. Number three, look with me in Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12, and let's look in verse number 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with, there's that little three-letter word again. We don't like when it deals with our living peaceably with all men. Now, there are two statements that are made here. And we love the first one. We don't like the second one. The first one is, if it be possible. In other words, we can excuse living peaceably with all men because we can say, Pastor, that was just an impossible situation Lord, that was just a, you know that neighbor, he just drives me nuts. I've tried everything, and it was just, I tried, Lord, but it was impossible. And we like that statement, if it be possible, but we don't like the second one. The second one is, as much as what? As much as lieth in me. That means I'm to give every effort I possibly can. What we like to do is give it the old college try, give it the... the, the just a, a token of a, an effort, and then say, well, I tried. It was impossible. If it be possible, it wasn't possible. It was an impossible situation. Well, maybe it's because we didn't give it everything that lied within us. And maybe it's because we didn't make a, a, a hard enough attempt to live peaceably with all men. So we need to learn to be at peace. By the way, we ought to give the same peace that God has given to you and I. You say, well, that person has offended me. That person has done, done things uh, contrary to me. What do you think we did to God? And yet He still offers His peace to us. And I'm thankful for that. Part of being a Christian is that we need to learn to live peaceably and to have peace with all men. Alright, uh, Matthew chapter number 4. Well, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 14. You read the notes right. Matthew chapter number 14. This is a good one, a lot easier for our conscience. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 27. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 27. Uh, they had just, Jesus had just finished feeding 
uh, the 5,000 and had sent his disciples down to go on across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And, of course, the, the storm comes, the wind comes, and uh, the Bible talks about Jesus went walking on the sea. Verse number 25, his disciples see him, and they are fearful. They cried out in fear. But notice verse 27 says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them and said, uh, saying, Be of good cheer, <coughs> it is I, be not afraid. And by the way, any time uh, Christ is present, it drives away the fear, doesn't it? It's when we lose sight of Him in fearful times that our hearts begin to fear. And so, number four, we need to learn to be of good cheer. Now, it's interesting, uh, I was as I listened to Brother Barber, and I, I didn't check him out on this, but I'm assuming he's done so, and so if it's wrong, I'm going to blame him. But he says 365 times in Scripture, the word or the phrase fear not or something equivalent to that is used. 365 times. And he made a comment, he said, that's one for every day of the year, if you think about it, that we are not to fear. Why? Because God's presence is with us. We need to understand this. This is something that brings good cheer. It kind of goes along with our message in the 11 o'clock hour. That because we're saved, we have this joy of the Lord. And it is the strength of our life. And we need to uh, embrace that as a Christian. We need to make sure that we, um, we exhibit that in our lives. That it is part of our testimony. All right, number five, Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter number three, and uh, we'll look at verse fourteen. Second Peter chapter three, verse fourteen. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And so, our fifth one is be diligent. Be diligent. In the Christian life, we're told over and over again that we're to be diligent, we're to be watchful, we're to be aware, we're to put forth the effort um, to live the Christian life, to have a right testimony with the Lord. And so be diligent. Number six, <coughs> number six, 1 Peter chapter number five, be clothed, be clothed, and everybody could say amen, that's a good one, be clothed especially in the world we live in today. But really, uh, what we're dealing with here is be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. Why should we be clothed with humility? Peter says, For God resisteth... The proud. You know, the greatest sin that you and I have in our lives is the sin of pride. Every other sin has its root in our pride. Probably the hardest sin to overcome is the sin of pride. About the time we think we've got a handle on it and we think we have some humility, we get proud of our humility. And once again, we're battling our pride. It is the most prevalent, the most justified sin in the Christian's life. And I would go so far as to say this. It is the one that is most most often not seen by the person that has the pride. It's possible to have it and not realize you have it. I shared with some of you Wednesday night, I think it was Wednesday night, 
when I went through a very difficult time and my wife had left and I was uh, going through some very hard hard times and spending time with the Lord and, and begging and pleading with Him to, to repair the family and bring, bring my wife back. And, um, and I, the comment, the phrase that I thought of and, and that I can remember sitting there saying it, as I said, Lord, if after all that I have done to serve and to do all this stuff for years, and this is what I get. And I mean immediately, immediately, God smote my heart with conviction. And I'll tell you, folks, I didn't, I didn't realize I had that kind of arrogance and pride. As if I was telling God, I've done all this for you. Look at all the good I have done for you. And you owe me now to do this. That was what I was really saying. But folks, if you had asked me that weeks before, months before, if I struggled with that area of my life and pride, I would have said, absolutely not. That's not an issue for me. But apparently it was. And apparently it took the circumstance that God brought me through to bring it to heart and to mind and to light and so I could see it. Pride is one of those things that we often have and don't even realize we have it. I think it would do us well sometimes as Christians to do as the psalmist did and say, search my heart, O God. Search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things. It can deceive us. It can deceive others, but it can deceive us. And it says it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And yet, and yet, even though we may think we know our hearts, there are things about our hearts that even we cannot see, but God can. Things that we don't bring to mind or recognize, but God can. I'm thankful that the Bible tells me that God is the one that searcheth and trieth the reins of the heart. He sees the innermost parts of it, the parts that even I don't go and, and look into. And by the way, He does the same for you. And so we need to be clothed with humility. Probably one of the diff most difficult ones that we're going to have to deal with in this thing of what, what it's like to be a Christian according to Scripture. And by the way, being a Christian is different than being saved. You understand that, right? We're, we're dealing with the afternoon crowd. Being saved is trusting Christ as your Savior. Being a Christian is being Christ-like. It's possible to be saved and on your way to heaven and not be a Christian. I know that we use the terms synonymously and interchangeably in our society today. But the truth is, they are different terms. Things that are different are not the same. The reason that they were called Christians first at Antioch was, and it was meant as a derogatory thing, but it literally meant they, they looked and acted and spoke so much like Christ Himself that they were called the Christ Ones. That's where we get the word Christian from. They were called Christians first in Antioch, not because they were saved, but because they were like Christ. And it is possible to be saved and not be like Christ, to live a carnal life. And we reap the consequences of that, and we reap sometimes God's chastening over those things. But it is possible. Very important that we understand this thing. And being clothed with humility was number six. Number seven, uh, be kind. Be kind. Ephesians 4.32, many of you can quote it. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And this is the part that we need to make sure we do not brush over just because we know the verse. 
even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There's a lot of times we say, okay, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Or we'll say, I forgive most people, but well, there's some people, after a certain time, they just keep on, keep on, they just keep pushing that button. There comes a point where I won't forgive them anymore, Pastor. I'm thankful God doesn't do that. Because the truth is, there's not a single day goes by that if it were not for God's mercies, He would consume me. Not one day. I'm thankful God is willing to be merciful to me and to be forgiving to me and to be kind to me. And Paul deals with that to the church at Ephesus as he says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So we need to learn to be kind. Number eight, we need to learn to be strong as a Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. By the way, there, there are so many passages in, uh, in the Old Testament where God tells His people to be strong and very courageous. Or be strong and of good courage. Uh, Joshua chapter 1 is one of those places where... Uh, Moses is now off the scene. Joshua is kind of taking the, the reins of leading the nation of Israel uh, into the promised land. And the Bible comes, or God comes to him and tells, tells him to be strong and to be very courageous. And uh, over and over again, God speaks of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, and uh, let's look in verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 13. The Bible says this, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Be strong. This is one of those, this one of those uh, rallying cries. You can almost see uh, a, a battle of, of, of military men that are lined up in array getting ready to go to war. And the commander is giving them the, the, the talk to, to, to be strong. Uh, and as we get to this, it says, Watch ye, stand fast in, faith, in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. And the motivating uh, charge that the Apostle Paul gives here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to charge the people at Corinth, uh, be strong, be strong in these things. Uh, and when it comes to our doctrine and the defense of our doctrine, be strong. When it comes to living the Christian life, be strong. When it comes to resisting sin, be strong. Over and over and over again, the Bible te teaches and preaches that we're to be strong. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. And um, let's look in uh, verse number 10. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be what? Strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you, are, you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And we see throughout this entire passage, as he deals with the fact that we're to be strong, he starts off with that, that we're to be armed with the whole armor of God. And in verse 14, he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13 and 14, he says, having done all to stand. In other words, after you've put every ounce of effort into this, stand therefore. Don't just prepare to stand and then cave at the least little bit of opposition. But having made preparation, stand therefore. Be strong in it. He talks about in verse number uh, 19, uh, sorry, verse number 18, the idea of persevering with supplication for all saints. How do we persevere? We, we're strong in the Lord. We go through the trying times. N- number nine, uh, same passage, be armed. Be armed as a Christian. Take the whole armor of God. Prepare ourselves. Prepare ourselves. Put on the armor of God. Let's look at it quickly again. Wherefore, verse number 13, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with what? Truth. Having on the breastplate of what? Righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of the what? The gospel of peace. We're to, be, we're to stand strong in truth. We're to stand strong in righteousness. We're to stand strong in propagating the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And above all, taking the shield of what? Faith. This is all things that ought to mark the Christian's life. Having done all, we take these things, we embrace them, we prepare ourselves with them, we stand strong in them. Taking on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. We're to be strong in these things. We're to be armed with these things. And if you'll remember back to the story of David and Goliath, when David went into Saul and said, I'm going to fight Goliath, you remember what Saul did? He said, you can't do it because you're a boy. And David said, well, I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear and God help me and God will help deliver this, this one too. Remember what Saul did? He said, I want you to take my armor. And he took his armor and he gave it to, to David. And David said, I cannot, I cannot wear this armor because I have not what? I haven't proved it. I haven't proved it. I don't know how to use it. I'm not well with it. It may not even have fitted, fit him well. I don't know. We don't know for sure if it fit him well or not. But at least he said, I've not proved it. I'm not prepared to use that armor. Now, I'm thankful he was able to trust God, and God delivered Goliath into his hands. But wouldn't it be sad if God told us to put on the whole armor of God, and when we get to the end of our life, we have been overcome by the wiles of the devil over and over in our lives simply because we had not proved the armor of God? We had not taken it unto ourselves. We had not put it to the work. We had not put it to the test. We need to make sure that we are armed. And lastly... We need to be steadfast. We need to be steadfast. First Corinthians chapter number fifteen. First Corinthians chapter number fifteen. Verse number fifty-eight. Paul writes this: Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look with me if you also would in First Peter chapter number five. First Peter chapter number five and verse number nine. 
We'll start in verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. This is how we resist him. Uh, by the way, we don't resist Satan by rebuking him and saying, I command you in the name of Jesus. You do not find in Scripture where we are told to rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus. It's not there. And some people say, well, it doesn't that, isn't that what it means when it says to resist? No. What it means here is in order for me to resist him, I've got to be steadfast in the what? I've got to be steadfast in the faith. That's how I resist Satan. I don't resist him by calling him out. I, I know Christians that talk to the devil more than they talk to God. That ought not be. That ought not be. We resist Satan by being steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Ten things that uh, we found in Scripture. Raymond Barber says they're like bees. They're like Scripture bees, Bible bees. You ought to be stung by them. They ought to move you to action. They ought to leave an indelible mark on you. Number one, you need to be perfect. Number two, you need to be patient. Number three, you need to be at peace. Number four, you need to be of good cheer. Number five, you need to be diligent. Number six, you need to be clothed with humility. Number seven, you need to be kind. Number eight, you need to be strong. Number nine, you need to be armed. And number ten, you need to be steadfast. What is a Christian? A Christian is not just someone who's saved. A Christian is somebody who takes this book and does all that he can to follow what it teaches so that he can be known as a Christ one. One that emulates the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of their life. You say, am I going to be perfect like the Lord Jesus Christ on this side of heaven? No. But we can give it every effort we have to become more like Him each and every day. And it's amazing to me how many times when I fail, it motivates me the next time not to. The brokenness that I have and the, the distraught, the, the spirit that I have that I have failed in this area serves as a motivating effect next time the opportunity comes to be strong in that area, to not fail him again in that area, to do better this time around. And so the Christian life is a continuous journey of trying to become more like Christ. What is a Christian? It is one who is like Christ in every possible area. I hope that will help you. I, I, I was listening to him preach this uh, a couple weeks ago. And boy, just they, there wasn't hardly... I don't think there was a thing in there that I didn't know already. But to hear him put it in those words and to bring it to light did, a, did such a, a help to my heart and to encourage me in some things. And I thought, well, maybe that will be a help to you guys as well. So I hope it was. If it was a good message, write Dr. Barber and tell him, thank you for the message. Our pastor preached it. It was a great one. So it was a good message. And I appreciate... Uh, the thoughts that he had on it. And uh, let's go ahead and stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word. We're thankful for men of God, faithful men of God, that can faithfully preach your word that oftentimes are a great blessing to our hearts as they bring to light and give the sense.